And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their spock out. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Long Play. My name is Bob Fisher. This is a show where a couple of geeks get together and basically talk about one of their favorite albums to see if it holds up. How does it hold up as an album? Is it just a collection of songs? Does it really hold up as an album? Well, we're going to find that out tonight. And joining me tonight, and you guys know him probably from Pop Culture Affidavit, or one of my favorites, Taking Flight. Love that show. Mr. Tom Panneries. Tom, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. This is really, really special. I, I, um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to talking about this album tonight. And tonight, Tom, you've picked a, an interesting choice for us. Tell us what you've chosen. I have the 1977 Billy Joel album, The Stranger, for everybody tonight. Great choice. Why Billy Joel? How did you get involved with Billy Joel? Because you're young. When this album came out, you were like, you know, coming out yourself. Yes, this came out the year I was born. Um, I was born and raised on Long Island. And so it is inevitable at some point that I was going to be exposed to Billy Joel either way. And uh, my first exposure to him was uh, probably about 83, 84, when An Innocent Man was big. And... Then I had a copy of The Greatest Hits, Volumes 1 and 2, on cassette. And uh, sometime around, I'd say, the 5th or 6th grade, so this would be 88, 89, I started playing the piano. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to play the piano was because I wanted to play Billy Joel songs. And I do have, and I have not, I'm pretty out of practice, but I do have the Billy Joel Complete Books of, of his sheet music, which at that time covered everything from Piano Man up until um, Stormfront. 
so most of his albums and stuff. But yeah, so I've been I've been a very very big fan probably since around the time I was like ten or eleven years old. You still play? I try. Um, I moved out of my parents' house, so I moved away from the piano. I have a Yamaha keyboard that is about twenty years old or so at this point. You know, it is. It, my son likes to use it for sound effects and stuff, but I have I haven't had the chance to really really sit down um, in a while. But having moved into new ho- a new house and having a little bit of space for some of these things, I might actually be able to kind of take it up again and, and reteach myself a little bit. So you can kind of hear me play in an episode of Pop Culture After David, like one of the first episodes I actually played part of November Rain on the keyboard. So that's about as much as I've done in recent years. But being born then in, in at that time period, you would have had to then have gone back. And this is the beauty of what we're doing here is that yeah. it's not something like me. I heard it, obviously, when it first came out. I was... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, in 1977, I was actually working at a radio station when this album came out, mm-hmm. and uh, we had already been playing Billy Joel. And one of the interesting things about Billy Joel is when Piano Man hit, just before Piano Man hit, nobody knew who Billy Joel was. He was one of these yeah. people whose first album just came on like gangbusters. There was something special about Piano Man, mm-hmm. and it just... Everybody in town, top 40 stations, uh, progressive rock and roll radio stations, which is where I work, uh-huh. everybody was playing it. Didn't matter. And it was uh, very, very special. But then, as you watch his career by the late 70s, when this came out, we thought, holy moly. I mean, you couldn't even get to see him. You just couldn't even really get in to see him. He went from playing mm-hmm. small dinner theaters, Piano Man hits, and instantly he is now playing big arenas and stuff. And, uh, in fact, the first time I saw him, I saw Billy Joel was in uh, 79 Mm -hmm. when he played. uh, Here in Richmond, we have the Richmond Coliseum. Uh, It holds about 10,000, 11,000 people when they do that arena seating Mm -hmm. stuff. What an incredible concert that was the 79 show so this was out i didn't remember all of the stuff uh-huh. but we live in that wonderful thing we have the interweb oh wow people, so yeah people have archives of things that you would have never expected anybody to have I, not in a million years what i've expected so yeah. so i get online last night i look it up and bingo there's the concert with the complete playlist and Apparently, there are two songs that are somewhere like archive.org somewhere of Ooh. someone who actually recorded two or three of those songs wow. and have uploaded them somewhere. So somewhere on the interweb uh, is a Billy Joel concert that I attended, which is really that cool. That is very, very cool. I saw him at the what is now the Verizon Center in Washington, D.C. with Elton John back yeah. in 2001. I think it was. What a great show that yeah, was. Yeah, it was very, wow. very good. Well, it's funny you mention Elton John because at the I remembered once I looked at the, the, the set list last night online, mm-hmm. it just came flushing rushing back to my head. Oh, God, you're right, that concert. That was the concert where in the middle of the concert, Billy Joel starts talking about all of the other big-time uh, songwriters who basically played piano, Elton John, Banal- Barry Manilow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go down the list of, of guys who had major hits in the 70s mm-hmm. that were basically piano players. And he said, sometimes we all get lumped into the same little category. 
And he says, but we're totally different. Listen, this is the way Elton John plays and that he does Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. And he says, and this is, the, so he just did these covers of these other piano players in their style. That's and funny. I thought, wow, didn't that, that was really good. So uh, he put on a really, really good show that night. Cause, cool. But let's, let's now talk about a little bit, now that we've got how you got started with Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should tell the people, you and I, once we decided to do Billy Joel here for uh, tonight's album, we actually then had to decide, well, which Billy Joel album? And yeah. it really came back to two. It really came down to the two, Turnstiles and The Stranger. Mm-hmm. And we chose... The Stranger. The Stranger. Why did you pick The Stranger? Because in a, in a big way, it is his best album. It's a it's the closest thing I think he has to a album album and uh when, when we think of albums because the thing about Billy Joel is uh that there are a lot of his albums especially after The Stranger where there are some really really good songs on them but for the most part it's it feels like a collection of songs and beyond the songs that were big singles there's nothing there's not a lot that you would really really hold on to aside from you know unless you're like a really really big fan i mean i feel like this all the way through has something to it more than that and uh turnstiles was the album that came out right before this and it's almost like this yeah. was this was also the album that almost like defined him and and it's really really it's it it is the most important album of his career because of all the everything that kind of came together because of it um, there are a couple of songs that like, you know, that are better pop songs than what he has on this. And, um, I know that mm-hmm. an innocent man, for instance, is, is an album that is a, it's almost a concept album. Cause he's trying to like pay tribute to a certain type of sound and everything. But, you know, I look at, uh, you have 52nd street and then glass houses and the nylon curtain and, and then man, the bridge and stormfront and river of dreams. So those are the studio albums and maybe glass houses, I'll listen to all the way through. Um, but for the most part, I will pick and choose the songs I want off of each of those albums to mm-hmm. listen to. And it's not necessarily all the singles. It's some of its – there's songs on each of those albums that weren't released as singles that I really like. But uh, but for the most part, like you know, this and Turnstiles are two albums by him that I will, I will always give a listen through. I mean I might skip over one song or so, but for the most part, I'm like – you know, I can listen to every song on this album and, and feel satisfied. And then it's, like I said, it's important career-wise for him. So, Well, I feel kind of the same way. I hadn't uh, actually listened to Billy Joel album in its entirety, probably for a couple of years, to be mm-hmm. honest, in their entirety. Uh, I only have an 8-gig nano, so uh, I have a lot more music than 8 gigs, so I have to be pretty selective. And once, and I'm a huge Beatles fan, so once the Beatles get on there, there's four gig, there, there's four gigs gone. So I've yeah. got about four gigs left to put everybody else in. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of pick and choose some of my favorite songs from albums and then rotate them. Yeah. And uh, uh, two songs from this album, and I'll mention them as we get to them, okay. are on my regular rotation. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, after you and I decided to do the stranger that's when i uh made room on the ipod put the entire album on and over the last couple of days i've just been listening to that yeah and oh my god does this hold up as an album or what i had forgotten yeah. 
even the pop tune, you mentioned a pop tune, and there's one particular, and I'll mention it when we get to it, that you could almost stamp 70s dance, disco-y, poppy, <laughs> top 40 tune. Yes. You could just, it is of its time, but it yeah. fits, it seems to hold up, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I think the one beautiful thing, and then we'll start the music, because I'm sure people would like to hear a little of the album, uh, but uh, I think the nice thing about this album and the beautiful thing about Billy Joel's songwriting is that it's, and particularly in this album, and it shows it off, uh, that his stories are wonderful narratives. Billy mm-hmm. Joel in this album, uh, these are little stories. Yes. And sometimes songwriters aren't really telling a story. They might have an idea and they'll think, okay, I need to, June rhymes with moon, rhymes with spoon, rhymes with whatever. Billy Joel in this, he may have been doing a little of that and using some thesauruses to get some rhyming or going. But these are well-constructed stories. These things are just, just really fun little, uh, I was going to say little short three-minute stories, but uh, one of them is seven and a half minutes. There's yes. another that's about six. These aren't little stories, but uh, they're just wonderful narratives. And I think narrative yeah. is the is the key word here. These are wonderful narratives. Uh, so let's get right into the first one. The first song is pretty much about what the title says it's about. Song is called "Moving Out." <laughs> There's so much in this album that is the suburbs and how frustrated, you know, it just uh, it, like it, it's it's the, the 70s. Um, and my understanding of the 70s comes from, you know, what I've secondhand because I I barely remember the 70s at all. Yeah, I barely remember them either, but for <laughs> probably different reasons. <laughs> what, what's the old saying? If you can remember the 70s, you weren't there. Um, you weren't really there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in this song, he he sounds so frustrated at everyone around him or Anthony is so frustrated at everyone around him um, because they all feel that uh, they have to trade up, you know, that, that that's, it's, it's almost like a, a commentary on the American dream or something like that, that, that we've got it, that we have it in our heads that you can't be necessarily satisfied where you are. You have to, you know, get more and, He's obviously painting this picture of this kid named Anthony, who is probably just average Italian kid from Brooklyn or wherever. And he's looking at all the crap everybody around him is putting themselves through in order to afford a Cadillac or a nice house, uh, hack, you know, out in Hackensack, which is in New Jersey, um, in the in the suburbs. Although I don't know why anybody would 
you know, willingly move to Hackensack. I mean, even Superman had to be convinced to save that city. Uh, uh, but but it is. It's this. Uh, it's it's about the song to me, and and it took me several listens to it over the years because it's just this cool rock and roll song mm-hmm. a, that it's about the illusion of the American dream and and the, the the sense that we have to have this and one guy's frustration about it and he takes off at the end. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the car engine sound effect at the very very end of the song. But and the tires po- po- squealing out. Yeah, but yeah. Billy Joel's not known for, um, you know, st- well, he is nuanced sometimes, but he then there are nuanced. times where he's very literal, too. So, Well, in fact, I think that's one of the, the comments, one of the notes I have uh, is that pretty much the title of each song tells you what the song is about he's not oh, yeah. hiding anything he's not no. trying to trick anybody he's, with this with the lyrics in these songs no, he it's, does not bury the lead <laughs> no he doesn't this song is moving out and he says i'm moving out yeah thanks a lot mom but i gotta get out of here this is not quite the american dream uh that he didn't say american dream but he actually said the the line this isn't my dream or something like mm-hmm. that yeah and uh uh and I think you're right on the money. It's just a typical rock and roll type tune, a nice little three chord rock and roll song. But he's got this yeah. really nice little narrative about a guy who cannot wait to get out of the suburbs. There has to be more than this. So I'm moving out. Just just done so yeah. well with a, a typical uh, top 40, nice little, uh, as Andy would call it, a little jingly jangly pop tune. But with a great hook, a nice little pause, yeah. and accenting the, the headline here. I'm moving out. I'm gone. I just uh, – a great way to yeah. start this album. And it lets you know exactly. right off the bat that this is where I'm starting this narrative. I'm starting the album narrative with me moving out. Yes. And then we get to other songs. And I think it's followed beautifully – which is another brilliance. And I don't know. I didn't look this up or not. I don't know if there's anything about once they got into this part of uh, once the songs are recorded, mm-hmm. because three or four of these were recorded in studio, yeah, uh, actually written and made up and recorded in the studio. Yes. Three or four of them came already done. He knew what he wanted when he got into the studio. It was yes. these guys play these parts and boom, 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 done. You know, it's it, that's the beauty of these kinds of genius people that can that can do this stuff. But when it came to deciding which song followed what for the yeah. album, I think they laid this sucker out so beautifully that yes. the title track becomes the second song. So he's moving out in the first one, mm-hmm. but then in the second song, The Stranger, he kind of realizes, well, now what? I'm a stranger. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Just brilliant. Let's listen to the opening of The Stranger.
when you listen to The Stranger? It, it, it sounds, that, that intro, the whistling and the piano sounds like we're in a lounge, and then it hits you. And I love that transition, that it's almost a, it's a, I don't want to say sleazy sort of, sultry. I think the word sultry comes to mind. There's something really just, um, like, there's a sexiness about this song yes. that, uh, that, that he's definitely going for. This is one of the songs in the album that you can see the influence of Phil Ramone, who produced this. This is the first album of many that Phil of his the Phil Ramone would produce. Mm-hmm. And um, I did look this up. The whistling was Ramone's idea. He had the melody. Billy had the melody. And he was trying to figure out what instrument to play that on. And he whistled it to Phil Ramone. And Phil Ramone was like, that's the stranger. Like, just do that. Okay, see that good. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to look that up and forgot to. Who actually did the whistling in both this and the reprise? And you're saying it is Billy Joel himself doing the whistling. I, I believe it's Billy Joel himself. I mean, the idea came from, like I said, the idea to do the whist, put the whistle in, came from Phil Ramone. He, and, and you know, he is kind of responsible in a big way for this album being the way it is. Um, you know, here's someone who prior. Yeah, Phil Ramone is his hands, his fingerprints are all over this thing. Yeah. And he and Billy Joel then stayed team I mean mm-hmm. Phil Ramone produced the next five six seven eight albums I mean, Something they were together like that, for a yeah. decade or so after this they were together a long time after this the part that Billy Joel had a problem with well not the part but uh, the bass player the drummer and his woodwind player the saxophone flute did all the woodwind stuff those three guys and Billy were together for a long time too 
but Billy Joel yeah. had a hard time finding a guitar player. There's three or four different guitar players on this one album. Yeah. And guitar players kept coming in and out throughout the course of Billy Joel's band. Took him a while to actually find a guitar player that he kept for a while. So I think that's an interesting little behind-the-scenes thing, too. That uh, Yeah. And um, this is a... Uh, I was just saying how he can be nuanced. And it's this isn't necessarily a nuanced song, but the thing I appreciate about the song is how he is he's writing songs about relationships and he's acknowledging how complicated and complex relationships are and that we've all had that moment where the person we're with is not the person we're with like there's that you know he he personifies it in this stranger who is just this face this side or personality that we don't let anybody know about and he's got that moment where it happens to him, you know, he comes home and, and he came home to a woman he couldn't recognize. And mm-hmm. the, the, the line is, that's where I felt the stranger kicked me right between the eyes. That's a, it's a, it's a brilliant take on like, you know, um, kind of a very adult concept. I mean, the guy is a pop artist, but he, he uh, allows himself to have a certain level of maturity that uh, a significant amount of pop music doesn't always allow itself to have right i think the next song is the same way it does the does the exact same thing um and this was more of the pop tune you mentioned earlier of Mm -hmm. of uh, of a pop tune and this one i think had been has been covered by practically ever the next song we're getting ready to do just the way you are Let me down before mm-hmm. Don't imagine You're too familiar And I don't see you anymore I would not leave you In times of trouble We never could have come I took the good times I'll take the bad times I'll take you just the way you are Don't go trying Some new fashion Don't change the color of your hair want someone that I can talk to I want you just the way you are 
This has been covered by several people. Yeah. Uh, this this was the big song off the album. This won two Grammys for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Uh, and yeah, you're right. This has been covered by quite a number of people and quite a diverse number of people. He even sang this on Sesame Street at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I, want a, I want a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this tune. Even even though it's a pop tune, it's a really nice little pop tune. But sometimes, or sometimes popular stuff can be good. You know, sometimes yeah. we, you know, the good yeah, stuff does yeah. rise to the top, you know. Uh, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this nice little pop tune here. No, I mean, and I, I think a lot of people would classify this as cheesy. Um, it's very 70s. It's very 70s, and it's very Billy Joel. Yes. You know, it's, this is... You know, I, I'm surprised we don't have this behind some sort of a TV commercial now. You know, it's, it's yeah. so recognizable. Yeah. But still a good pop tune, still a good tune. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I made a note about Phil Ramone again because um, I was looking up Phil Ramone's career out of curiosity as to what he was doing mm, before he hooked up right. Billy Joel. And he had done Still Crazy after all these years. With Paul right, Simon, Paul and Simon. There, yeah. there. This sound. This doesn't sound exactly like it, but there's, there's definitely the same tone, or, or there's something very, very similar to that. Yes. And, but, uh, but yeah, this is, this is a very, very. It's a sweet song too. It's, um, and it's a nice balance with, with the stranger, which is very complex and dirty in a way, um, about you know. And, and there's there's another song later on the album that seems very sweet, yet is a lot more a lot more nuanced than you give it credit if you actually listen to the lyrics. But this is very straightforward, and it's very sweet, yeah. and and it holds up surprisingly well. I think it holds up too, particularly Billy Joel's version of it, and that's what surprised me. I hadn't literally, I had not heard this song mm-hmm. in a long time, and had totally forgotten it was even on the album. And then, uh, you know, I'll pop it in. I've got it in my headset. I'm going around the house listening. And when this came up, there was like a nanosecond of, oh, oh yeah. And then as the song played, I went, oh, but this is a really good version of this song. Yeah. This is really good. Pop tune or no, it's a good song. And I always say a good song is a good song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, of course, the next song is the one that, I will always gravitate toward from this album and it's the monster song on the album. And it's my favorite song on the album too. Oh yeah. And what are we talking about? One of my favorite song titles of all time as well. Scenes from an Italian restaurant. It 
out there who don't know what those are this was originally released on vinyl and there's two sides to vinyl so scenes <laughs> scenes from an italian restaurant is how he ended side one okay and absolutely brilliant way to end uh side one just yeah. just really great this i actually got this album on cd uh was the th- like the third or fourth CD I ever owned, um, and this was this was a song that up until then I had never heard. Um, but I had I had at that time the Billy Joel complete sheet music book, Volume One, which this is in, and I'd wanted to know this song. It was like I just kept looking at the lyrics and I was trying to play it, but I didn't. It's sometimes it's hard to play a pop song on the piano where you don't have a, re- a audio reference for. And so when I got it, I was really really excited. And, and this is a this is very much a story song, but it's like a song in three parts. And um, he came into the studio with this, with the middle part done. He had call, was calling it the Ballad of Brenda and Eddie. And he was at an Italian restaurant. The story that he's told this story on stage and in lectures and VH1 storytellers, like those sorts of shows. Um, he was at a restaurant, an Italian restaurant, and a, a waiter walked up to him to take his order, and he said, "Bottle of red, bottle of white." And he was like, "Thank you." He's just like it. I, I know exactly how to start this. Song. And and the song and the bottle of red, bottle of white moment, at the, which is is the framing device for this reunion between um, two old flames. Uh, and we have the second part of the song because the song's what seven and a half minutes long, almost. 
and yeah, it's seven and a half. Yeah, and and, yeah. and the the the, uh, the first part of it is like you know, hey, let's meet up. I'll meet you anytime you want at our Italian restaurant. It's a lyric, and then we have the two characters actually meeting, and it's this. What I love about it is the reminiscing they have and it it's a little gimmicky because when he says you know you you play the jukebox and there's a song about new orleans and all of a sudden in the background it's a very new orleans jazz sound but the conversation feels really natural you know things are okay with me these days got a new job got a good office got a new wife got a new life you know it's just what you do when you catch up with somebody years after you've talked to them for the last time and then we get the ballad of Brenda and Eddie, which I've always assumed is the couple meeting up in the first two parts of the song. And he does this sort of third-person thing. Right. And um, this part with the piano solo and then the whole Brenda and Eddie part, if you ver- if you play the piano and you play this, will make your wrist hurt. Mm. Um, see if you can pick this up. I have my keyboard right here. I have it open and just because the left, the, the 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 right hand is is just some chords and 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 you know and, and if you're playing it off the, the sheet music you're playing the melody, but the left hand, the accompaniment hand of the bass clef, is sixteenth notes in an octave over and over and over and over that switches from like um, it's G to so it's it's basically yeah and it's basically this. even know if I'm going fast enough, but do that for what is basically the bulk of the song. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I've watched him play um, live and I've watched Elton John play live and, and I've seen videos where Freddie Mercury is playing the piano. And this thing I could never do as somebody who played the piano is relax my wrists enough to mm-hmm. play like that. You know, you watch Jerry Lee Lewis too. There's a floppiness to their wrists and it, it took me years. My piano tube would be like, relax your wrist, relax your wrist, and I was too tense. And that's why my wrist would hurt after playing the song. I tried to play the song earlier today, or at least that part, and I'm like, I my timing is off. I don't have enough keys on the keyboard to play it. But I'm like, but I'm doing this and like for for like four minutes, and then I'm like, ow, this hurts so much. I'm going to go play, you know, just the way you are, because it's a lot easier to play or something. And um, it's just, it's a testament to, to how good he is at the piano. He's got a song on Turnstiles called Angry Young Man, mm. which is like, there's a whole prelude to it that is absolutely insane to play. And it's just, he's a really technically a really good pianist. And, um, and, uh, and it shows in something like this, which is basically the accompaniment to the song. And the song itself is much more than the piano playing on it. But there are times when I just flash back to playing on my piano in home and I'm like, and I'm like, ow, after a while, go play something else. <laughs> She's got a way is really easy. Yeah. Just the way you are is really easy. I'll play those. But it's not it's not the melody. It's the, it's the story that to me is important. It's the story. Well, I am basically a music guy over lyrics. And it's one of the things I was telling Andy Leyland when we were doing Sundays. I had to listen to Sundays you know, like a dozen times to start figuring out what are they talking about? Because to me, it's the music that brings me in first. Yeah. If I like the sound of the song, then I'm going to say, okay, now what's he talking about? With Billy Joel, because he is, his lyrics are so, I was going to say lyrical, but they are. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> they are. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's the music does bring you in. 
And then it's not that hard to, to hear what he's saying, to understand what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, that was the beautiful thing about his piano playing, too. And I mentioned that earlier, seeing him live, where in the middle of his set, he yeah. starts doing impressions of Elton John and all these other piano players and yeah. doing their covers. It was brilliant. Just yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so we flipped the album over. Well, I did. I did have one more point about the about the story in the song, because uh, yeah. this is a seven and a half minute song that doesn't feel like seven and a half minutes. And Mm-mm. Brenda and Eddie is just there's this is everybody who grew up and went to high school on Long Island. I mean, and maybe you across the country, everybody knows Brenda and Eddie. And mm-hmm. if moving out is this illusion of the American dream, this is this is a bittersweet story that how things don't always turn out the way you think they are going to. And and you kind of have to grow, you know, and it's part of growing up as part of growing older. And it, there's, it's not mm. bitterness. It's not caustic. Anyway, he's not angry in here. He's uh, they're they're both nostalgic and right. and they're seem very very grateful for what they have in life. But you know, but uh, the other thing about it musically or, or lyrically, you it's one of those songs that when you sing along to it enough, you find yourself, or at least I find myself, slipping back into the Long Island accent. <laughs> Brenda, well, he does Brenda and Eddie and uh, the Park yeah. Diner, you know, and it's just like. You know that's that's why it will always remind me of home, and that's the other reason I, I love it so much. But yes, we will flip the album over, go across the Atlantic, and go across the Atlantic. Yes, this was one that was put together in studio called Vienna. Will you realize 
So, give me your opinion of Vienna. What do you think about Vienna? Um, I, it's, um, it is a nice little change between, you were talking about how this album was put together. This is very much a, okay, we had a big bombastic song and now here's a little simple song again. And, uh, and it's, uh, this comes off to me as fatherly advice. And I know that's kind of what the inspiration behind it was, but I love, I just, I, I like, I don't know. I just like the message in the song of hmm. slow down, take your time. You'll be all right. You know, there's no reason to rush through life. Um, you've got a lot of time in this earth and, and, you know, because which is in direct contrast with the next song, by the way. But um, but there's that sort of but you know don't burn what is it you got to cool yourself you got to cool it off before you burn it out and and I don't know it's it's kind of a nice like I said there's a maturity about his music in this album that um, that a lot of other pop music uh, that is a little more ephemeral doesn't really have and uh, I think that it's it's in here as well plus the piano is, is just gorgeous in this the piano that's what I was going to say here that's my note on this this piano is just. It's just pure Billy Joel saying, hey, I can play these things, you know? This is, this is really nice. This is just a – it's got a good melody to it. Melodies are very difficult to write. Well, I think a song is difficult to write. Melody, lyrics, putting a whole package together and it making it sound like those lyrics go with that music. And Billy Joel is just a master at that. Uh, you know, in other teams, other mm-hmm. songwriters sometimes – I mean, Elton John needed Bernie Taupin, you know. Bernie Taupin is a brilliant lyricist, but Elton John was able to take his lyrics and then put music to it that fit those lyrics. Uh, And I think Billy Joel is just an absolute master at being able to give you not only the words to tell you this is what I'm talking about, but the music that sets up the atmosphere, whether he's doing a, a song from a diner, the music sounds like he's listening to music on a jukebox in a diner, or he's talking about a love song, or he's talking, you know, his music fits his lyrics. And I think that's one of the beautiful mm-hmm. things about this song. Now we move into the next song, which is possibly one of the biggest top 40 hits of all time. This is not the Iron Maiden song. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> oh, no, this one is definitely... No. <laughs> no. This one's about as far away from Iron Maiden as you can possibly get. So, what's the next song? It's Only the Good Die Young. Only the Good Die Young. And this is... <laughs> oh, God, I gotta stop laughing. But this is... this is You were saying the antithesis of the last song... About slowing down, taking it easy. This one's basically saying, I mean, we're talking about a little bit of controversy on this one. Catholic girls. (laughs) Well, let's let the let's just play it and let them make up their own. (laughs) Yeah, I can't stop laughing about this song. (laughs) Andy says Virginia. Yay, Virginia. Although that's a person he's talking about instead of the state. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll take it any way we can get it. But this one is called Only the Good Die Young. Oh, you the 
about the first time that I really got the old quote saying about Catholic girls you know the the whole you know they're <laughs> and it's such a sexist thing too but it's like you know the Catholic girls aren't gonna put out type of thing but but it's uh, it ticked off a number of of Catholic groups from what I remember from what I yeah, wonder out. why <laughs> he's basically saying throw all that Catholic crap away yeah. and come over here with that little plaid skirt yeah uh, you know uh, I can understand why certain people would be upset but I got maybe it's me I'm such a I don't know what I just laugh out loud when I hear this song oh and, it is uh, a fun song and I don't get the feeling that he gets the girl either. I think he's just hitting on her and she's just kind of like, she's just kind of either ignoring him or just shaking her head or it just never happens. And he's just kind of getting more and more desperate as, as the song goes on. Um, you hear a lot of the song later on and tell her about mm-hmm. it too, in terms of the rhythm and the, and, and the, and the music of it all. Oh, this is a much better song than tell her about it. Oh yeah. Much better. This is, but this is, uh, such a good, good song. Yeah. Really. I mean, I'm making fun of it, but for a pop tune, for a top 40 tune that got tremendous airplay yeah. in spite of the, at the time kind of controversial. And I think when people, like you say, when people actually listen to it, he might be trying to hit on this Catholic girl, yeah. but like you, he doesn't get the Catholic girl at the end. No. Uh, but he's also telling her, he's also letting her know that there is a world out here, you know, that uh, you might want to experience. And maybe when you grow up, you know, you'll you'll experience some of these things, but uh, uh, <laughs> um, only the good uh, yeah, die yeah. That's just... Yeah. Oh. I love the fun of that song. Yeah, I, I probably should. No, no, it's. It, but it, you were talking about the instrumentation, the, the saxophone. This is one of those times where saxophone solo really works, um, along with the piano in the middle of it, because that's around the uh, the time of the bridge, I believe. Yeah, and that's how they actually get, I think, the sexy part into this. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not really paying attention totally to all of his lyrics. You kind of jump in at the at the uh, uh, you know uh, at the big riff. Only the good die young. That's what everybody sings. Only the yeah. good die young. You know, everybody knows that. And then that kind of sexy sax comes in again and plays the melody, and you're just, uh, oh yeah, very nice, yeah. very nice. So he says it without saying it, and it's it's just really terrific. Yeah. 
And it contrasts, I think, the next song. Oh, yeah. Really. Is that what you, you have anything else to add? To no, the, no. The, the in fact, the, the, the point I was going to bring up is how well it contrasts with the song that comes right after it, too. Which is another one of my favorite songs on the album. She's Always a Woman. Really nice tune. Yeah. She can kill with a smile, she can wound with her eyes And she can ruin your faith with her casual lies And she only reveals what she wants you to see She hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me She can lead you to love, she can take you or leave you she can ask for the truth, but she'll never believe And she'll take what you give her as long as it's free Yeah, she steals like a thief, but she's always a woman to me Oh, she takes care of herself She can wait if she wants She's ahead of her time Oh, and she never gives out And she never gives in She just changes her mind And she'll promise you more than the Garden of Eden And she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding but you'll bring out the best and the worst you can be Blame it all on yourself Cause she's always a woman to me good tune really nice tune i i do like this song yeah so i mentioned earlier when i was talking about the stranger that um he writes songs about how relationships he was writing about how relationships are complicated and uh this is this is another one where the woman is very complicated and um it's that maturity i was talking about i keep bringing up that word it's it's it is quite possibly one of the most beautiful songs he's ever written in my mind yeah, I both think musically so and lyrically. I agree with you there. It's it's both, both. Again, this is what we were just talking about two songs ago, how well he will put music with the lyric. And this song on this album is just, I think, agreed with you. It's just one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And uh, the piano in here, oh, yeah. my God. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's just, just such a beautiful, beautiful song. And mature, I, you know, that might be an overused word sometimes, but it always surprises me about good songwriters. And I said this about Lennon McCartney and so many other songwriters. How the hell, when you're 28, do you know this? <laughs> you know, how do you write a song like this in your 20s? It, it, it's just mind boggling. She's that so, you're so mature. Yeah, she's so three dimensional as a character yes. 
You know this per you know this yes. person. Yeah, well, I think we say this a lot. And together, that's a beautiful thing about long play is we end up saying <laughs> on a lot of these songs, wow, that's a really good song. Yeah, yeah. These yeah. guys know what they're doing. Yeah. Just beautiful. I could listen to the I could listen to this song. Again. I know. I know. But we need to move on. We need to move on. Next song yes. is Get It Right the First Time. This is an interesting little rocker here, a little little peppy upbeat tune. Nice way to get to the to the final thing. Really like this tune too. Yeah. It's a great contrast again. Yeah. To come from the last song into this one, and this is what we're talking about, folks. So how does an album hold up? Does it flow from one song to another, or is it just a collection of songs? I don't think anybody who has listened to this in its entirety could think of this as just Billy Joel throwing out a few top 40 hits. This is a really well thought out, well put together album, even though basically half of the songs were written in studio from a kernel of an idea, and the other half were pretty much finished before he walked into the studio. It still comes together, and... Um, yeah. I, I really like the way he ends it with this song, even though the reprise is... You know, at the end, uh, the end, yeah. the last song of the album is really a reprise of the stranger, and it's just the whistle part. It's just beautiful, just beautiful. Yeah. But this song, I think, is just a great way. It says, "Hey, 
do it, man. You know, it's just it's just a great little tune. Great rock and roll. Not rock and roll, rock and roll, but you know what I'm saying. It's just a good Billy Joel yeah. putting a good uh, exclamation point, I think, on the album. Yeah, it's very – What do you think about the, this I song? like it too. It's very 70s though. Right. Well, this is what I was earlier – I mentioned – I said earlier that one of these songs – uh, you could put a stamp on it and say this was a 70s disco-y dance tune yeah. and played it. And I did play it. I was a DJ in a nightclub, mm-hmm. uh, and I did play this song, and people danced oh, cool. to this song. Right. So, uh, you know, and it's but it, it does feel and sound 70s. It's still got that thing. Yeah. But I still think it fits perfectly into this album. doesn't really date the album, and yeah, it fits. That, that was going to be know. my comment. It's 70s, yet it doesn't feel dated, which – sounds ironic but yeah it just it, it fits very well with everything else right because some people when they have a, a 70s disco song or something it'll jump out at you yeah and plus the fact he yeah. set us up so beautifully and i go back to the side one with uh scenes see i come back to scenes from the italian restaurant he has set us up by giving us a style of music from a yeah. different period than it was written so just having a disco typey dancey pop tune mm-hmm. in here doesn't sound out of place because there are three other songs that could easily have fit into other periods of time but tell yeah. a story and fit. This song tells a story. It's a little yes. you know 70s tune but there's a nice narrative that goes along with this tune as well. Yeah. So that was Get It Right the First Time. What's our next song here? Uh, That would be Everybody Has a Dream. While in these days of quiet desperation As I wander through the world in which I live I search everywhere for some new inspiration But it's more than cold reality can give If I need a cause for celebration Or a comfort I can use to ease my mind I rely on my imagination And I dream of an imaginary time Oh, and I know that everybody has a dream Everybody has a dream Everybody has a dream And this is my dream Games that I've 
been playing To keep my hope from crumbling away So let me lie And let me go on sleeping And I will lose myself in palaces of sand And all the fantasies that I will be keeping Will make the empty hours It almost, in a way, bookends the album because I was seeing how moving out is the American dream, and this is just everybody's got something. You know, it's I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's right there in the title. He's not he's not being he's not being subtle this time. He's being very literal. Everyone has a dream, and there's just this is this is mine, and and um, it is it feels like a closer. Which a lot of albums, mm-hmm. a lot of records don't have really good closing numbers. Um, they just kind of end on a, right. you know, like whatever experimental crap that the band wanted to put in at the very end of the album because they don't think you're going to listen to it. Uh, this has the feel of a closer and it comes to a swell at the end. There's a little bit of soul or gospel or something in there. That, mm-hmm. Got a yeah, choir in it, yeah. in fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, he's not being subtle. He's not burying the lead at all. Uh, and just like moving out was just that, he's moving out. To follow his dream, this is pretty much where he's saying what his dream is and how it's working out. And uh, again, I agree with you. This is a really terrific way to end this album and kind of bookend it with the, with the beginning. Which, again, like we're saying, is the difference between... Um, a collection of maybe good singles, good mm-hmm. individual tunes, and an album that tells a story. Both individually, each song has a narrative, but the overall album kind of has a narrative too. Uh, and they may not have thought that up in the beginning, but sometime through the process of Billy Joel writing these songs and working with his producer and the band members that he had. Uh, probably influenced part of it, yeah. and uh, songwriters do take a lot of that into into account. Who's going to play these for me? Yeah, and uh, Billy had a good good group yeah. with him on this album. There's not a misstep anywhere here. He had a good producer, had a great rhythm section that kept it where it was supposed mm-hmm. to be, and then he gets to bring in things like this at the end with, like you're saying, kind of a soul church choir. You know, you can almost hear the swelling and the and the angels of follow your dream kind of thing. You know, where's Jiminy Cricket for crying out loud? But uh, just to get a beautiful, beautiful song. And I think on this album, we had at least four beautiful songs. Yeah. I mean, melodic, great lyrics and just mm-hmm. classic hits. And we say classic hits now because, you know, this was 30 years ago, but um Oh, more than 30 years ago. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is wonderful that these guys can tell this story. Beautiful song. Yeah. And then we come to uh, the very end, the last, which is the Stranger Reprise, which uh, 
I'm not sure was recorded separately. I think this might be bits and pieces from the first recording. Yeah. I don't think when he said reprise that they literally re-recorded. I think this it's, is the same it's whistle, actually, same piano, the same stuff. Yeah, and, and on the CD version that I have, because I have the um, original issue of the CD before they remastered it. Um, oh, I'm listening to the remastered yeah, so 98. I have it because I, I got this on CD in 92, 93. Um, it's not hmm. listed as a separate track. So it's just – it's almost hmm. – it's like a hidden track – or it just kind of comes after everybody has a dream, and it's just sultry mm-hmm. little note to end on. And I kind of like it. It's it's it was something that just kind of struck me. There, I was like, oh, that's that was pretty cool. Even when I was like 16 years old, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I like it too. It it kind of reminded me of some of the early Beatles stuff when they were doing like Sgt. Pepper's or Abbey Road or yeah. something, where you think it's over, and then they do this quick little reprise yeah. just to let you know. Here it is. We're tying it all up at the yeah, end. It makes sense. He's a big uh, Beatles fan. And who isn't? Really? I know. <laughs> what a great choice, Tom. This was a great, great choice that, like I said when we started, uh, it would not have been something that would have jumped out at me. It would not have been well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad something you that, uh, that I would have thought of. And I just think it's brilliant. One of the beautiful things about long play is, uh, getting some fellow podcasters and geeks in here and saying, hey, what do you like? What are you listening to? And what a great choice. It, it made me listen to an album I hadn't listened to in its entirety in years. And uh, by doing that, I also made room and put Turnstile and Piano Man back on the back on there, too. So going through a little Billy Joel revival nice. here. Nice, nice. Well, and just, just, it is nice. It's really nice to do that and go back and and uh, you find something that you used to love. You think, maybe I don't love it anymore. Until you listen, you go, oh, wow, it's, it, is, it is really good. There's a reason Billy Joel uh, became a m- mega superstar. Some guys don't always make it to stardom, even if they are good. Some guys can kill their own, uh-huh. you know, they can... They, they're their own worst enemy sometimes. Yeah. Um, and we all know many, many people who had the ability, the potential, maybe had one or two songs and just faded away. And Billy Joel could go out today and still pack a, an amphitheater and put on a great, great He's show. He's still doing it. So, yeah. And it, so you go back to a catalog, and this is what I'm hoping we can do here and encourage people and then to go put the album on, listen to the whole thing. Not just your favorite tune periodically. Listen to the whole thing as an album, and I think you'll uh, listen to it with new ears. It's it's yeah. a fun thing to do. So, uh, great choice, Tom. Thank you again. Thank you. This was a great, great choice. Thanks. I really hope I did it justice. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I think we... It, <laughs> no problem. Uh, <laughs> but before you leave, tell, tell some of these people... I'm sure most of the freaks out there, the two true freaks people know where they can find you but uh, just in case we have some new listeners for the first time where can they find Tom Panneries on the interwebs I am at Pop Culture Affidavit which is a podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture from music to movies to TV to comics that's at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com and another podcast that I have is called In Country. I'm taking an issue-by-issue look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. Uh, That's also at 2TrueFreaks.com. And uh, I'm out and about on Facebook and stuff, so uh, hopefully you'll 
listen to those and, and drop me a line. Wonderful. Is Taking Flight still up? Is it still available out there? Can people go listen to it even though the series, you're not recording it anymore? Is it still available online somewhere? It is still available. It's over at the Batman universe, and I think it's going to be available indefinitely until Dustin decides that he doesn't have the space for it anymore. But if you want to go back and listen to back log of episodes of Taking Flight, which was a Dick Grayson, Robin podcast, uh, that's over at the thebatmanuniverse.net. That's one of my favorite podcast series of all time. I'm, I'm a Robin fan uh, from a little kid. Thank you. Oh, when I heard somebody was doing a podcast dedicated to Dick Grayson, <laughs> yeah, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. Love your show. Everybody should go back and listen to that show. Thank you. Great show. Thank you. Tom, thank you. Thank you so much for coming by. We'll do this again sometime real soon. Definitely. And you can find me, by the way, when not here at Longplay, you can find me over at the Superman Forever radio podcast. I do a little show called the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. I kind of talk about Superman a lot, all the time. And sometimes I turn the microphone on and let people listen to it, too. So check that out, too. Thanks for being here, folks. Good night. Good night. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, Soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.